0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy, and I'm Deblina Chakraborty. And recently, we started a new series—a Bourbon
1: series. Not the liquor, as you mentioned. Not the liquor at all. It's about the House of Bourbon of France. And Spain, as we'll later find out. And Spain as well. Yes, we'll find out in a few weeks, perhaps.
0: But we kicked off the series with the assassination of the first French bourbon king, Henry IV, and the more recent news about the identification of his decapitated head.
1: Yes, his head, which had circulated amongst collectors private for collectors. private collectors for several years and was finally confirmed to be his head. I still can't really get over that story, but we're going to be picking that line up with
0: his son, Louis the Thirteenth, and... It's interesting, but sometimes the ministers behind rulers turn out to be more influential, or at least better remembered than the monarchs themselves. And that's definitely the case with Louis the Thirteenth. I mean, he was an admirable soldier. He had some problems, though. He was mentally unstable at times, and he was frequently in ill health. And the first years of his role were very much dominated by his mother, Marie de Medici, who was the conclusion to that Medici super series, yes. bringing all of these together. Um, but unfortunately for him, I guess, her power continued on even after he had come of age. They had some major issues with each other.
1: So consequently, throughout a lot of his reign, he relied on his minister – who was the brilliant Cardinal de Richelieu, otherwise known as the Red Eminence.
0: And Richelieu could definitely have his own series. He's involved in so much. And this is, I mean, you hate to call a particular time in history busy, but I think it's (laughs) how I would define this period. And, I mean, the Thirty Years' War alone could have multiple episodes on it, but we want to keep this series rolling. This family does, of course, stretch on for centuries. so
1: Got to boil it down.
0: Yeah, exactly. So our focus for this episode is going to be on the final years of the Cardinal and the King's long partnership and the plot that almost undid them. And finally, the birth of the boy who had come to really define the French monarchy and probably the Bourbon family. So the eventual duke and cardinal de Richelieu was born in 1585 as Armand Jean du and he assumed this family bishop holding at a very young age actually before he was officially allowed to be consecrated. He had to get a special permission from the Pope to assume this inherited uh, family position. But his family really wanted to push him into it. It was one of the most valuable things they possessed. And he did fairly well from there. I mean, that was... uh, Certainly a promising early start for him.
1: Yeah, he continued to rise up through the ranks. He achieved a court appointment by 1616, so not too long after that. Um, And he became the principal advisor to Marie de Medici, the regent at the time. But he spent the next few years in and out of favor with her because... uh, it was a constantly changing political environment.
0: Well, and in and out of favor in general, since she herself was falling in and out of favor. Um, but gradually, he gained the trust of Louis the Thirteenth, who was not on good terms with his mother and actually pretty suspicious of anyone who had had connections with her. Uh, But by 1624, he's sufficiently impressed Louis and he's made his principal minister. And Richelieu's two goals are very focused on Louis and on the Bourbons, which I think is why people have already been
1: suggesting him to us as part of the Bourbon series. Right. And his two main goals were very clear. They were the first one was to bring France together under an absolute monarchy, and the second was to break up the Habsburg power. And the Habsburgs were they were a family that controlled Austria and Spain and threatened the Bourbons.
0: And both of those are things that we've seen good examples of in some earlier episodes. I mean, with the all the sons of Catherine de Medici, you can see how the absolute power of the monarchy was sort of in shambles. And I mean, the Habsburgs—they were just. The Bourbons were comparatively an upstart family compared to this old line. So consequently, with goals like that, Richelieu's time was filled with war. And just to give you a few examples of the many, in 1628, he took on the Huguenots, who he considered a dangerous state within a state, even though they were French they were a threat to the king. And um, he essentially crushed them at La Rochelle, which was their center of power in 1628. And then he doesn't miss the beat. Immediately after that, he convinced the king to lead an expedition into northern Italy to stop the Spanish Habsburgs from holding the strategic fort of Casale. So He's really busy.
1: Yeah. And then by 1635, France had declared war on Spain. So he's taking his goals and running with them. Which that really becomes a dominating point
0: for the rest of this episode. But um, add to all of these wars, these religious wars and international wars, a really heavy dose of plotting. And there had been conspiracies to remove the cardinal from day 1 as soon as he came into power and as his power grew his enemies only got bigger and by 1630 he faced this huge amount of internal criticism for forming these strategic alliances with protestant states which some people saw as betrayal and uh part of this was launched by a, a smear campaign from marie de medici his former friend his former pal who right. was definitely um it definitely saw that this was the man who largely controlled her son.
1: So to watch out for all these threats and to basically keep tabs on everything that was happening in Europe, Rishi Lu had to rely on some outside help. He set up a secret service and often included missionary friars in the secret service, and they were working under his number two guy, who was known as the Gray Eminence, the Friar Father Joseph. And Father Joseph is kind of a key character in Rishi Lu's rise to power. The, the man behind the curtain. who's was kind of pulling the strings. Upon becoming principal minister, Rishi Lu even said that next to God, Father Joseph had been the principal instrument of his present fortune. So it gave him a lot of credit. And I think
0: some people even think Father Joseph really is like the man behind Richelieu. The puppet master. I, I mean, that might be going kind of far, but he's certainly an interesting figure and a really interesting contrast to Richelieu, who was still uh, very goods-oriented. He liked to accumulate wealth, and uh, Father Joseph was his exact opposite in that respect. But Richelieu's Secret Service, they were not to be trifled with. They could find almost anyone... Disaffected people, people who may have been plotting dangerous, dangerous people in the realm. And since one of his goals was to promote absolute monarchy, he didn't really let rank and position get in his way. Uh, It it wasn't going to hold him back from finding you if you were causing trouble.
1: Yeah, and this proved especially true when he went head-to-head with the queen, Anne of Austria, who was the still childless wife of Louis Thirteenth. So now we're going
0: to switch gears a little bit here and focus on Anne for a second, who, uh, if you are familiar with Cardinal Richelieu, it might be because of the Three Musketeers. And if you're familiar with the Three Musketeers, you know that Anne and the Cardinal are mortal enemies. He's always trying to catch her in the act of some... Secret liaison and the musketeers are always pulling through for her. But, um, we covered a little bit of Anne's background in an episode I recorded with Candace a while back on historical weddings. Um, but she was in quite a pickle in the 1630s, to put it simply. She'd been married since she was 14, but she hadn't had a child. So that's a big deal at the time. Yeah, really big deal. I mean, it's, it's, Childlessness in a marriage at the time was grounds to annul the marriage, which had been I mean, it was a decades-long marriage. They had been married for a very, very long time. And if the marriage were to be annulled, she'd she'd be in a bad spot, probably sent back home again.
1: Another thing that added to her sort of precarious position in the situation, beyond just the fact that she didn't have a child and an heir, was the fact that she was a Spanish princess. And this was an increasingly kind of precarious position, especially after 1635 and the de- declaration of war against um, Spain. Yeah. So she was possibly the enemy within. And she insisted she
0: had become thoroughly French. She had been, after all, living in France since she was a teenager. Uh, but she kept up with some of her Spanish habits, which I guess didn't help matters much. She slept late. She loved to eat Spanish chocolates,
1: which I don't know if you can fault somebody know. for habits like that. I love that these are specifically Spanish <laughs> habits.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like Kind of a nice deal to me, but, um, her husband was, was suspicious of her. He always thought that maybe her heart was still with Spain. He thought that she, quote, had a great passion for the interests of Spain, which is a little ironic because his sister was married to the Spanish king. I mean, it was a, their marriages had been double marriages. So <laughs> you'd think
1: he'd have a little compassion here. You'd think, but more seriously than that, Anne was suspected of conspiring against her husband with his brother and heir Gaston.
0: And Dublina and I were talking earlier about how the name Gaston
1: has negative connotations. <laughs> yeah, always makes you a little worried and you're going to see
0: Gaston pop up again later in this episode. He, um, he's not. Terribly close to his brother, to put it nicely. Um, But Anne, who was already no friend of Cardinal Richelieu, found herself in really hot water in 1637 for a series of correspondences she had had with her brother, Philip IV of Spain. And it seemed like the correspondence had gone a little beyond just your basic, you know, dear brother, I hope you're well, that sort of thing. And um, she was discovered and the Cardinal forced her to place her correspondence under watch, which was a really embarrassing thing for her to have to come out, basically recant her correspondence. And worse than that, one of her servants was arrested and tortured in an attempt to draw out even more damning information about her to, to try to ruin her, essentially. But he didn't give anything up. He didn't give anything up. And that, maybe there was nothing to give up. Maybe there was. (laughs) I guess we don't know. But uh, it's fortunate for Anne, certainly, that her servant didn't say anything damning because miraculously... At 36, she finally became pregnant. She had had several miscarriages before, but hadn't even been pregnant in quite some time. She and Louis must have reconciled to a certain extent. Um, And by January 14th, 1638, Richelieu had been informed
1: and the country was praying for a dauphin. And they, their prayers were answered. September 5th, 1638, and delivered a healthy baby boy in the presence of witnesses, and he was considered God-given the future Louis XIV.
0: Yeah, and obviously this miracle child um, did raise a few eyebrows. People are wondering how this couple suddenly conceived. Um, the witnesses are there to make sure it's actually her baby, and it's not a girl, and it's not switched Right. Or a boy or a, a dead baby switch for a living <laughs> one. So they were sure it was hers, but people were still questioning the paternity of the child. Um, and Louis Thirteenth was understandably kind of annoyed by this. He dismissed the criticism and said, quote, It is scarcely a miracle if a husband who sleeps with his wife gives her a child. Um, it, it's probably their best proof that two years later they had yet
1: another son. Exactly. But he didn't get too entrenched in his fatherly duties not too long after his son's birth, probably within about a year of Louis the birth. Louis the Thirteenth had a new favorite hanging around. It wasn't just Richelieu in the picture anymore. This was a different kind of favorite too. Yes, this was someone who actually seriously threatened the crown, the position of Louis the Thirteenth's son, and also the place of Richelieu. Yeah, and it's kind of ironic that this relationship proves so threatening,
0: threatening to Richelieu as well, because the pairing was one of the Cardinal's own making. Back in 1632, Richelieu had taken in this orphaned boy, Antoine coiffier rousset the Marquis de Saint-Mars, who was the son of one of Richelieu's dear friends. He had taken him in, taken him under his protection. I mean, Richelieu was a powerful guy with lots of connections. Um, he was gonna help out his friend's boy. And by the time the young man was about 19 years old, Richelieu encouraged a relationship with the king. He thought that St. Mars might be pretty easily controlled, and he could essentially extend his own control over
1: Louis through this young man. And it actually worked. It did work. It was quite successful. St. Mars not only became a favorite, but he also earned the title Master of the Robes. He and the king had kind of a tumultuous relationship, though. St. Mars would often start these big fights with him, and then they would make up. It was sort of... I don't know, I guess a caddy type thing? Yeah, or? lover's
0: quarrels is kind of how I think of it. Um, kind of awkward. But he was also getting, uh, or St. Mars was getting more arrogant and getting kind of wild in his ways, and Richelieu didn't really care for that. Plus, he didn't care for the fact that St. Mars was not as easily controllable as he thought he might be. He had some clear ambition to become more than just this temporary royal favorite. But um, I think Mars, on the other hand, saw that the Cardinal was standing in his way of becoming something more and thought that maybe since he was kind of sickly and getting older, he could just be safely eliminated.
1: So, Saint-Mars' first brush with conspiracy came in 1641 when, with the Count de Soissons. And that plan was aborted though. It didn't actually go anywhere.
0: Yeah, but Saint-Mars was still lucky that Richelieu and his secret service didn't detect his own involvement. He wasn't caught. But the next conspiracy was of his own making, and it was actually probably the most serious conspiracy during Richelieu's time. Along with a group of noblemen and the king's pesky younger brother, Gaston, Mars was planning to stir up revolts and eventually allow Spain to enter France. And it gets pretty serious when you learn that he even signed a secret treaty with Philip IV of Spain, March 13th, 1642, with Philip promising to assist the rebellion with troops and with money. So it,
1: it's straight up treason. Yep. And Rishi Lou of course, is not happy about this when he finds out. And he does find out about the plot by June 11th of that year. And it takes him just two days to arrest St. Mars, who's convicted of treason and beheaded.
0: But this is kind of the beginning of the end for this whole group of people. I think it's It's interesting that this conspiracy does come so close to the end of their lives. Richelieu dies very soon after this last betrayal, December 1642, and he's followed by the king in May 1643. So within just a few months, we have a complete regime change as the young Louis XIV, who is still less than five years old, becomes king with his mother, Anne, as regent. And she declares a Cardinal Mazarin as her chief advisor. Mazarin, he's an interesting guy, too, handpicked by her former enemy, Richelieu, yet much more to her own liking in possibly more ways than one.
1: Yeah, they have kind of an interesting, very close relationship going forward. But I think this is... Launching us into a different direction. A different
0: direction. Well, in a different king who mm-hmm. we will inevitably be covering some events of the life of Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, builder of Versailles. I mean, how can we even pick? I don't know where to start.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a tough one to to boil down as well. But I think that's what you can. We expect shall find next, a way. Though, but yeah, the Bourbon series. So I guess that brings us to listener mail. We have a letter from Carrie from Philadelphia. And Carrie says, Just listening to your Unearthed in 2010 show, regarding ancient cacao brews, I just wanted to mention, though hopefully someone else already has, that one of my favorite local breweries, Dogfish Head of Delaware, produces an amazing throwback cacao brew called Theobroma. And one of my all-time favorites that they make, haven't had a chance to try their ancient recipe saliva beer, Mm, that sounds pretty <laughs> fascinating and not very delicious, though. <laughs> and Carrie says, maybe someday, if I'm lucky, he will get to try that. Happy New Year, and thanks for the podcast.
0: And when you mentioned this letter, I thought it was interesting, <laughs> because way back when we did an episode on the history of chocolate, somebody suggested that same chocolatey beer. Pretty... It must be good. It must be good, if all these people have it on their minds. But if you have any... Um, beverage-related recommendations for bourbon this bourbon or <laughs> Um or just any fun historical uh, events in the life of Richelieu you want to share, feel free to email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. We're also on Twitter at Missed in History, and we're on Facebook.
1: And if you'd just like to learn a little bit more about how royal families work in general to go along with the bourbon series and all the various Layers that we have going on in it. We have an article called How Royalty Works, and you can look it up by going to our homepage and typing in royalty at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The How Stuff Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.